0: This morning, as we look at some biblical reasons of why Israel is important to the Christian, this is not going to be any speculative uh, prophecy, even though I might tip my hand a little bit and uh, make a few statements, but it's really trying to look and recognize that God does not view any other country, even the United States, the way that he views Israel. Okay? Let me make sure you set, get that set in. God does not view any other nation the way that he views Israel. Have you ever wondered why the Jewish people have been scattered throughout the nations of the world more consistently than any other people and maintain their identity? Why anti-Semitism persists to rear its ugly head? Even in recent days, look at among our universities. You've got professors and people coming out praising the murder of Hamas. I mean, it's crazy, even in our country. You know, sometimes we look back on Hitler in Germany and think, wow, how did that ever happen? Listen, we've just had an event, and look at how the evil hatred has risen just overnight of people that hate Jews and hate Israel. Why did Nazism target the Jewish people for genocide in the Holocaust or World War II. Why? Why are the Jews, uh, why have they had to endure such uh, uh, persecutions? Uh, Why have they tenaciously held to this commitment through every person who turns 18, everybody? I suppose there's some medical reasons, but everybody, woman, man, has to serve in the military for, I believe, two years. That's a requirement. You see, that's different than... uh, You know, we have wars and it doesn't really affect us. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here really World War II generation or you were little, but my father and grandparents, when they had to ration groceries and gas and food and all, I mean, it affected... They felt it every day. Like, well, we can't get enough sugar. We can't get enough this. Because, you know, everything was going to the war effort. Today... Wars and people killed, they don't even affect us unless you have somebody in your family or a son or daughter. Uh, Israel, they live with it. Everybody lives with it 24-7. And I believe the answers to some of these questions uh, are in scripture. And we just want to give kind of an overview. This is really just an overview. I'm probably... going to say, I mean, I I went through and edited out more stuff because we'd be here all day. So I'm not going to try to belabor it. I just want to kind of give us a little bit of a framework. Let me remind you this as well. And I know some of you are new. Uh, When you come here, you've really never been in a church that actually takes the Bible seriously. We open it, we teach it, we believe it, we work through it. We try to understand it. That's why we spend time here uh, rather than just a little, you know, devotional thoughts and tips from dear Abby. I mean, we want to, you know, we want to teach the Bible. We believe that that's important here. And so the Bible is not just, even though it does, talk, it does contain personal salvation and God's plan of salvation, but the Bible is a book that reveals God's purposes. And, and sovereign plan of redemption and his reestablishing his authoritative kingdom on the earth. This plan, that is laid out in this book. It's not just devotional thoughts on how to get saved. So, Israel is an important component, I believe, in understanding God's purpose and plan in his working ultimately of his consummation of his kingdom upon the earth. And so this is just a framework, and I'm going to use an outline based on an acrostic. An acrostic is just the beginnings of, a, of the letter, and they signify or stand for something. So you see this in your handout. So the acrostic is the word land, L-A-N-D. Okay, So I'm just going to use that as our four-point uh, heading this morning. L-A-N-D, and each heading will start with one of those letters. It's just kind of a, maybe a way to kind of structure uh, a topic that we could be all over uh, the map with, no pun intended, all right? So this morning, the number number one, the first, uh, the first emphasis of the L is the word legacy, okay? If you have your outline, you can write that in there, and that's the word legacy, and the the thought behind this is the legacy of Israel's covenantal founding. The legacy and the principle is that Israel has had and has a unique relationship with God. Early in Israel's founding in history, uh, it has had a unique relationship with God, as I said, that no other nation has had. In Deuteronomy 7.6, Moses made this statement, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Some of you got an issue with election. Well, there you go. That's election. God shows them He didn't choose the Hittites, he didn't choose the Chinese, he didn't choose any other group, but in fact, the Bible says you were not even a people until I made you a people. God has given, and when I say Israel and Jews, I may use those terms synonymously a little bit just for time's sake, but Israel has had special privileges. And I've listed seven of these out in your handout so you don't have to... Uh, uh, write anything down here, but I do want to highlight a few scriptures. I want to kind of go through this quickly here this morning. And so look at some of these special privileges. The first one is in Exodus 4 and 23, and it involves Israel's adoption, and is called Israel is called God's firstborn son. And then the Bible says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Thus says the Lord. Notice the language here: Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, he's saying to Moses what he's going to say to Pharaoh, I say to you, let my son, we're often, you know, we hear my people, but the Lord says, Israel is my son, that he go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, the Lord says, I will judge your firstborn. You remember the last of the plagues that God wrought on, on Pharaoh's household? What was the ultimate and the last of the plague was the death of the what? Secondly, Israel, privilege was permitted to hear God's voice at Mount Sinai. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 32 and 33. For ask now concerning the days that are past which are before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like this has been heard. Verse 33, Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived? Moses is saying, Nobody, has had the privilege of actually hearing the voice of God. This is Moses appealing to those rebellious Israelites there in the, uh, in the wilderness. Israel has had a unique access to God. In verse 7 of Deuteronomy 4, he says, For what great nation is there? This is Moses. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon Him. Thirdly, God established His covenants with Israel that He never did with any other nation. Romans 9, Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, speaking about his fellow Jews, my countrymen, his, his Israelites, Paul was Jewish, according to the flesh. Okay, Notice just a little nuance there. Paul distinguishes between Ethnic Israel and spiritual Israel, but that's another uh, teaching. Verse 4, he said, Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the what? The covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God. He's talking about what God has given you all of these wonderful privileges. Number 4, God gave the Mosaic law to Israel alone. We might would say today the word of God and again, he says, verse 8 of Deuteronomy 4, what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all his law, uh, which I set before you this day? Only Israel. Number five, God made promises to Israel that he made to no other nation. Deuteronomy 1.11, may the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. We sing about promise keeper. God is the promise keeper. Number six, God gave Israel permanent ownership of the land of Canaan, i.e. the property we identify as Israel today. Genesis 17 and 8. Also I give to you, and these are words to Abraham, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as a what? everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And the last thing of this great privilege is that God made in Israel's land, the capital Jerusalem, a holy, unique city because he dwelt there in a unique sense. And this is from Zechariah that says in verse 12, and the Lord will take possession of Judah and his inheritance in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Again, for every scripture I'm quoting, there's probably 15 that I'm not. The bottom line, it's important to note, as we talk about why it's important from the get-go, the legacy of Scripture, that Israel is important, that God has established His unique relationship, unique relationship with Israel forever, and He intended that relationship to be permanent. It wasn't temporary, it wasn't set aside now that He's with the church, it was a permanent relationship. Look at the words of King David. So great. 2 Samuel 7, 23 and 24. David, in his praise to God, said, And who is like your people? Like Israel. He's not talking about the church. Very specific here. He says, Who is like your people? Like Israel. The one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem. Went, came. God sent his only son. Went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself... Not them, make for himself a name, and to do for yourself, he says to the Lord, great and awesome deeds for your, what? Land? Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods? Verse 24, look at this. For you, God, Yahweh, have made your people Israel, your, own, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. A great legacy of Scripture. But the A is for the word ascension. And that's ascension to Israel's national fulfillment. And the principle is that according to the Scriptures, Israel's unique future will be characterized by two things. Unequaled suffering and unequaled blessing. That's just... The layout of Scripture. Unequaled suffering. I mean, as we said, has any people, nation, people, regardless of whether they held the territory like when they were in bondage, they still were identified as a nation. That they have experienced such satanic attack and evil. Now we uh, go back to, we won't read it now, read it later in Genesis 3.15 where God Promises the seed that would come from the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. But you see it really manifests itself at the beginning of Exodus. Remember that Joseph at the end of Genesis, remember Joseph was the vice premier, viceroy there of Egypt. And God, through all those tribulations, brought Joseph to Egypt and consequently Jacob and his brothers, those scoundrel brothers, remember those brothers that sold him into slavery. And uh, God allowed the, the uh, Jews, or the, what then were the, I- the Israelites, to live in Egypt. And let me keep this in mind. The e- Egypt was not their permanent residence. Think of Egypt as just an incubator. You know what an incubator is? You know, you're going to incubate eggs and chicks. and you know, It was just a big incubator to do what? To grow this nation. Give them a a semblance and a temporary period of protection that God would allow them to be in Egypt in order to grow them. And we see what happened here, and it's a little long, but it's important, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now notice the language here. This is Joseph is dead. It's going to set up now for Moses to come on the scene. But notice how the book of Exodus begins. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Don't let that slip by you. It's saying, look, all the great blessings and reputation of Joseph, there arose a king that that meant nothing. What did did God use that Pharaoh in Joseph's time to do? And that was to protect temporarily the Jews. You with me? But there came a time through the years, that there arose another Pharaoh. he's like, you know, he, didn't, he, didn't, he flunked his history class in Cairo. I mean, you know, he, he, he didn't know or didn't appreciate or whatever you want to call it. Verse 9, he said to his people, this new Pharaoh, look, now notice the anti-hatred of Jews and the seeds that Satan is going to sow here in the words that he says. This Pharaoh said to his people, verse 9, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to do what? Keep them from growing even more. If we don't, now here's where he's going to breed the satanic lie that you can't trust these Jews. Verse 10, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, And war breaks out. You know what they're going to do? They're going to join our enemies and fight against us. You can't trust those Jews. Then they will escape from the country. Verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more, look at this, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives, verse 14, bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields, they were ruthless in all their demands. You see what's going on here? You better watch those Jews. They'll come and get you in the middle of the night. You, they'll they'll, they'll co- uh, cohort with their, their, uh, their enemy, the, our enemies. You can't trust them. We've got to do something about these Jews. Boy, that could have, been, that could have come out of Mein Kampf. You know what, Kampf, that was Hitler's manual of that he wrote while he was in prison that laid out the Nazi philosophy. But not only will Israel have a history of unbridled and unequaled suffering, but the Bible says that Israel will have unequaled blessings in their history too. Much of the Bible presents the sufferings that Israel suffered, or or affected them, was because of their rebellion And it was a judgment by God that they fell into this. Not always, but in most cases. But we know also that Israel will have uh, unbridled and unequaled blessing. Look in Romans 11 as an example of many. Paul says in Romans 11, he says, I want you to understand this mystery. A mystery, when Paul uses it in the New Testament, it's not like, Murder, she wrote, mystery. It's not that kind of It just means something that's revealed in the new that we didn't see in the Old Testament. That's what he uses, mystery. He said, I want you to understand this mystery. I want you to understand this truth that God's revealed to us now, but our fathers didn't see it. Dear brothers, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. But this will last only until I don't I wish I could get into this, but notice that word until. That's a time word. That means that there, the hardness of Israel, where they've turned against the Messiah, is not going to be permanent. But this will last only until. That means there's going to be a time when the bell will go off, until when the number of Gentiles, that's non-Jews, that's most of you and me come to Christ. That should be a little indicator that God has not abandoned Israel, the Jews, in his redemptive purposes, but that until the time of the Gentiles, that fullness, come to Christ, he says, and so all Israel will be saved. Now, we understand when he talks about all Israel, he's not talking about Israel, whether they believe in Messiah or not. He's identifying Israel, and he says this in Romans 9. Read it on your own, where he says, not all of Israel is Israel, but he talks about a spiritual Israel. And that spiritual Israel is composed of Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom of Christ. So when he says, all Israel will be saved, he's saying, all of my identified people will be saved. Okay? May not, that may not click, but... And so the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty seven. 27... We song, sing about promise keeper. The Lord says in Romans eleven twenty seven, 27, For this is my what? My covenant. My covenant with them. He's talking about Israel. When I will take away their sins. And so the Bible tells us that at the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I know there's various views and understandings and we're not going to get lost into that, But one thing we're in 100% agreement on is that Jesus is literally, bodily, physically, truly coming back. I know there's great debate and discussion about when, timing, and those things, and I've got opinions, and they change if I read a new book. It'll change when I read that view, and I'll read, you know, but there's one thing I am in agreement on, and that's the primacy and the role that Israel has apart from the church, and that Jesus is literally, physically, bodily returning back. To earth, because the Bible is so clear on that, okay? And the Bible says that when Jesus returns and he establishes or, cons- or the consummation of his kingdom, that that nation, under the leadership of Messiah King Jesus, is going to be in perfect harmony in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be unending peace and prosperity and blessing. Israel, Israel along with The Gentiles that Paul says have been grafted in. That's what the language is in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Remember the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. I mean Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to... To the promise. So we get in on what God is doing, but the vehicle and the structure that God originated was Israel. And we are now becoming a part of that and co servants with those covenant people because we are now grafted in to that new covenant. Zechariah, let me read you a couple of scriptures and. The latter part will go faster, but you don't have anything else to do anyway, so y'all just... No, I've tried to make this succinct, but there's a couple of things that are just so good that I hadn't read them in a long time, and when I read them, they were just so good, I couldn't cut it out. But look at Zechariah. Zechariah is all about the prophetic return of Jesus, okay? Zechariah, Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 20, from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Again, speaking prophetically. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. Now see, if you think everything is all wrapped up in the church, then you have to spiritualize what Jerusalem is. But I think it just means what it says, that all the nations around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people, verse 21, of one city, look at the language here, this is speaking about that Kingdom age, future, the people of one city will say to the people of another in that time, come, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. That means he's in Jerusalem. Let's worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. I'm going. That's what they'll say. Verse 22, many peoples and powerful nations will do what? Come to Jerusalem, to seek the Lord, that's Jesus they're talking about, of heaven's armies, and to ask for His blessing. Verse 23, I love this. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew, and they will say, please. Let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Isn't that great? Another prophetic passage that you can't just spiritualize and wrap up into the church and say that these things don't have any meaning. They're asked, it's talking about literal Israel, literal Jerusalem. The church, has not been, church hasn't replaced Israel Look at Ezekiel 37. This is another prophetic passage of the kingdom future. And remember when Ezekiel wrote the book, Ezekiel, you know where Israel was? They were in Babylon. They were, in, they were, in, they were held captive. Jerusalem was gone. The nation of Israel was gone. But you know what? That Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. It was God saying, I will do this for you. In spite of all that has happened, guess what? God's a promise keeper. He's a covenant keeper. And that's why he gives these words of hope through his prophet Ezekiel. And says, and give them this message. Ezekiel, give them this message from the sovereign Lord. Now look at the language here. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their what? From the places where they've been scattered. Now, others, I wouldn't go and start a church over it, but I think that could be the fulfillment on May Fourteenth, 1948. Verse 22, I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. Verse 23, they will never again pollute themselves with their idols and vile images and rebellion, for I will save them from their sinful apostasy. Apostasy is just rebellion against God. I will cleanse them. Then, then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. Verse 24, my servant David will be their king. Now we know it couldn't be talking about David, David. Was David, he's gone. But how many times is it referenced, Jesus is called the son of David. The son of David. What's that lineage and the the, uh, hereditary record there in in Matthew 1 is all about is to demonstrate that he is under the lineage as the son of David. So when the Lord says, my servant David, he's talking about Christ. My servant David will be their king and they will only have one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my degrees. That means a spiritual transformation. Remember the New Covenant in Jeremiah 29 talks about I will write my laws upon their hearts. This isn't just dead legalistic religion. This is something transformational that has taken place yet future. You with me? They will live and obey my regulations. Verse 25, they will live in the land. They will live in the land that I gave my servant Jacob. The land where their ancestors live. They and their children, their grandchildren after them, will live there for how long? As long as the United Nations gives them permission? No, they will live there forever, generation after generation. And my servant David, talking about Jesus, will be their prince Forever. I don't know how you can read that and not be moved and saying, wow, this is a big deal. Verse 26 gets better. And I will make my covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give them their land. You ought to circle how many times land is mentioned just in that one passage. I will give them their land and increase their numbers, and I will put my temple among them Forever. Now, there's debate about whether there's going to be a literal, uh, physical temple. I think there probably will be. But remember also what Jesus said in John chapter 2 when he made the statement. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. And they thought he was talking about the temple of Herod. What was he talking about? He even says in verse 22 of John 2 that he was referring to his own physical body as the temple. That that temple of Jesus, Jesus' presence in this kingdom prosperous period of ruling and reigning, the Bible says that in this, this part of the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus will be there and he will be the light. He says, I will put my temple among them forever. I think here he's talking about himself. And I will make my What? home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know, they will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. So legacy, ascension to its national purpose by God, but notice the end of land, and that's the word necessity. The end necessity. Necessity, To fulfill God's purposes of redemption. God has purposed Israel to function as a unique channel of his blessing to the whole world. I'm going to go quickly over this. But if you could go back to that last verse in Ezekiel verse 28 for me. And this kind of gives you the hint. He says, When my temple is among them forever the nations will know that i am the lord who makes israel holy that means that israel has served and will serve and is serving to some degree as an example of god's sovereign working you want to know you want to know at least in the in one sense of the role israel had was that they were to be examples of god's outworkings and purposes because no other nation has been given The literal presence of God, the law, the word, the covenant. So you want to see what God's like? You look at God's people. And see, that's Paul's argument over in Romans chapter 9 when he's talking about that you're worried about God won't be faithful to you, but yet he is faithful to his covenant people, the Jews. He's not cast them off forever. Why do you think he would ever cast you off forever? Why? Because he's a promise keeper. He's a covenant keeper. You want to see God's faithfulness? Look at how He has worked and acted with His people historically. So God has worked with His people. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Bring all who claim Me as their God, for I have made them. Talking about Israel. I have made them for what? For My glory. That Israel exists for the glory of God. What happens when... People glory in something, they admire it, they, 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 it's impressive, it demands recognition. He says, Israel is for my glory. And so this necessity of how God has worked in Israel, notice three things, three ways, practical ways of how God has worked through Israel to bring a blessing to the world. Isn't that what he told Abraham. Through you all the nations of the world would be blessed. Let me suggest to you three things. One is the way, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is the way his historical dealings with Israel. How he's worked through Israel is an example of how he intends to be a blessing. Now I'm going to paraphrase this part real quick. When you read in Deuteronomy and you read the law, you remember God gave multiple covenants. One Abraham covenant, Abrahamic covenant was what we say unconditional. That means God made covenant with himself other covenants like Sinai with Moses they were conditional you obey me I will bless you you don't obey me you'll be cursed and under a, under the punishment you get it that was conditional right so the example that God gave is we look at how of course now again on the new testament side we've got a lot more light but you look at Israel and how God's dealt with Israel, and you see a God who blesses those that are faithful to him, and those who were rebellious and reject him, they do not live under the blessings of God. And so we look at the nation of Israel and see through how God intends to bless us and work in our life through the way that he has worked through his people. Secondly, of the way that he has blessed and demonstrates this blessing and this necessity of rising Israel as the ultimate teaching tool to the world is through a unique book. Now I'm going to talk about the New Testament because that came later. But the Old Testament, God has blessed the world and glorified himself through Israel through the testimony of his word. Remember what we read earlier? What nation has the words of, the, of God? We have those Uh, codified, that we have been able to access. That has come through the nation of Israel. God has blessed it. The Bible is the only book that is divinely inspired. It is the only book that reveals God's ultimate reality, His purposes for history, the origin of why we exist. Why are we here? What is our future? What is our purpose? God has revealed that in His Word. The Old Testament, David said... Psalm 147, verse 19 and 20. He has revealed His word to Jacob. Jacob is just another term for Israel. He's revealed His word to Jacob, His laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know His laws. Praise the Lord. I like what Augustine said. Famous quote. He said, in, he said The new is in the old concealed. The new covenant is in the old concealed concealed and the old covenant is in the new revealed you see it's through the new covenant the new testament that we get read hebrews i mean you read hebrews you understand old testament stuff you want to understand the significance and the priority of christ the new testament reveals those things and so in the new the old is concealed and the old in the new has been revealed we need those Old Testament Scriptures. And God, through Israel, has brought those. But thirdly, thirdly, what's maybe the ultimate way we could say He's blessed us is through the Messiah, Savior. You see, from Genesis 3.15, and I have it on the screen, Genesis 3.15 from the New Century Version, He says, I will make you, remember in the midst of man, humankind's darkest hour, when man... And woman, Adam and Eve, failed and rebelled against God's clear commands, and they should have been sentenced to ultimate judgment and death. God made a prophetic, covenantal promise right there in man's darkest hour when he says, I will make you and the woman enemies to each other, speaking to the serpent, he's speaking to the the devil here, and this is going to set up the tension between God's line of blessing and Satan's line of blessing. He says, I will make you, serpent, and the woman enemies to each other. Your descendants, meaning those who are not of the seed, and her descendants, they will be enemies. That's why there's turmoil, because one is a godly line and one's an ungodly line. One of her descendants, speaking prophetically of Christ, will do what? Crush your head. You will bite his heel. You will attempt to wound him, but he will crush your head. You remember in the movie, The Passion of the Christ? You remember in that garden scene, the first time he saw it, and then that snake slithered in, and all of a sudden, when he stomped on it, it kind of was loud, and I don't know about you, but I think everybody watched the first time, it jolted them, right? That was a little Hollywood way of getting Genesis 3.15 in there. Maybe you were out to get your popcorn when you saw that. I don't know. But notice the last one is the, word, is the letter D. Legacy, ascension, necessity. We must declare, Christians must declare, that Israel has been given permanent ownership of the land. As I said earlier, this is what the Bible taught. Now Moses made it clear in Deuteronomy 9. Look at this, Deuteronomy 9 verse 4. He says, Do not think in your heart after your Lord your God will cast them out before you, talking about the enemy, saying, because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me into this promised land. In other words, God didn't bless Israel because there was something inherently righteous in them. That reminds me of what Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you're saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves, lest you should go around boasting as though God did, you know, God saw your righteousness and blessed you accordingly. No, He did not do this because of your righteousness, because Moses would say you had no righteousness. Why did He do it? It goes back to that Abrahamic covenant. Remember when God made covenant with Abraham? If you never read that, read that in Genesis 12 and through 15. Read that. And the Shekinah glory walked through those, those, those split animal carcasses. That was an ancient tradition of making covenant. But he didn't have Abraham walk through that middle. Only the presence, the glory of God, walked through the middle of that. Because you know what? In human terms, when that was done, you know what that was signifying? When they split these animal carcasses out and you had to walk between them? That means if I break this covenant, may it be what these happened to these animals happened to me. That was signifying, this is a serious covenant. And God, God alone, to demonstrate that this was an unconditional, Abraham, Moses, all you guys, I know you can't keep the terms. But God says, by grace, I'm going to do this for my glory. It's interesting, in Genesis 15, God gave specific boundaries. Look at Genesis 15, verse 18. Part of it right there in that covenant. If you've never read it, go back and read it. It's one of the most pivotal portions of understanding Scripture. And God told Abraham, He gave him specific boundaries that He was going to bless him. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants, future, I have given this land. Well, wait a minute. I thought Moses and Joshua, they got, oh yeah, they had to go in there and possess it, but it was already a done deal. God had already given it. Okay? He said, To your descendants, I've given this land from the notice this, from the river of Egypt to the great river to the river Euphrates. Look at this map of modern Israel today. You see that little red sliver there? That's the borders of modern Israel today today. I didn't cut out Palestine, but anyway, that's, that's pretty much it today. If you go by the boundaries of what God said in Genesis 15, look at what that looks like. That's Israel. According to what he said to Abraham, that's the boundaries. Man, you're getting in Egypt, Saudi, Man, you're talking about And so you see, Jews know that. When Menachem Begin was negotiating with Sadat and Jimmy Carter and that whole thing, Menachem Begin insisted they use the terms and the borders of Abraham and what he said in that covenant. Now, they didn't do it because literally all hell would break loose, right? But listen, God's going to keep his covenant, God's going to be faithful. And so when you say to a Jew that knows the borders under the Abrahamic covenant, oh, just give up that property. You know, don't, don't, just let everybody rule Jerusalem. You know what? They're like, wait a minute. God said. The United Nations, the United States, the European Union, they are not the ultimate authority. God's covenant. And I think Christians need to be reminded of that. Zechariah 2 says that Israel is the apple of his eye. Here's three quick things that we should, we should do. We are to support the claim to the land. Does that mean we give carte blanche for Israel to do anything politically? And Israel is a secular state, but let me make this distinction, and it may not, some of you may get it, some of you, and I just mean your, your background. But the state of Israel. Is, pretty, is a secular state. I wouldn't say the majority of Jews in Israel today, but there is a, quite a high number that are atheists. Now God's doing some work there, don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that Israel can just go and obliterate and you know, do whatever it wishes and we're just supposed to be like, well, you know, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But through the state of Israel, the secular state, That is not what's going to be redeemed. When Paul says all Israel will be saved, he's not talking about people that don't believe him. He's talking about there's Israel and then there's Israel. That's what we're a part of. That's what we've been grafted into. That's the Israel that will look at Messiah when he comes. And we are to support for various reasons, for political, but I believe ethically, We are to support the nation of Israel and the biblical claims of their land instead of thinking, listen, do you think, do you realize when the British sought to bring peace into that region in the 20s? You know what their plan was? A land for Israel and half of it for the Arabs, i.e. the Palestinians. Palestinians didn't want it. Because they said Israel will never, ever ever exist on any land that we have. Do you know, what the land, you know what the nation of Palestine is today? What it was originally designed to do? That's the nation of Jordan. That was how Jordan got created. It was originally to be marked as a Palestinian compromise to have their country and Israel would have theirs. That's what Jordan is today. But guess what? The Palestinians have never failed to miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Why? Because their hatred of Jews is so demonic. Again, am I saying every Palestinian? No. There's some born-again believers, Palestinians. There's people that wish those crazy extremist terrorists wouldn't be ruling their nation. There are people in Gaza that have suffered because these terrorists have run their government and they're powerless. No, no, no. Secondly, we recognize... That we, as Christians, as New Covenant people, have received mercy through the Jewish people. Remember Paul says, I'm a debtor? I'm a debtor. Meaning, kind of like the turtle on the fence. You know when you see a turtle on the fence, you know he didn't get there by himself. Now some of you and Kathleen, that'll take you a while, but... I live in in Kathleen, so I can pick on us. The Christians United for Israel... Explains it this way. And I think it's good. Listen to this. Don't check out on me. I'm almost done. Our spiritual inheritance. Owes its very existence to Judaism. And a Jewish rabbi. Named Jewish Jesus of Nazareth. And they said this. Don't miss this. Remember this truth. Judaism does not need Christianity. To explain its existence. However. Christianity cannot explain its existence without Judaism. And thirdly, we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're going to do that. Scripture up there, a picture of Israel and that reminder to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So let's do that as a fitting way to close this morning.